0: If you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter number sixteen this morning, while you turn there, let me just encourage you to realize how blessed you are to have West Coast Baptist College. Many of you were in the service last night, some of you were out ministering, maybe you're at work or something like that and Heard a fantastic message from Pastor Jones and I hope that through that message you even thought just of this place and what you get to be a part of on a day-to-day basis and never take for granted what you have here. My wife was able to spend five years here in school, her bachelor's and master's degree and then work on staff for a short period of time. I was able to spend a year here and over the past decade or so I've been able to be on about 30 or so different college campuses that are Christian uh, colleges or universities And I can tell you unequivocally that you have something absolutely unique here at West Coast Baptist College. And not unique in a like dye your hair green and wear mismatched shoes artsy sort of unique, like a good unique. You have here academic substance. You have here teachers that care for you. They know your name. They're involved in your lives. You have beautiful first class facilities. You have food truck days and funnel cakes tonight. Can I get a witness on that? It's all good. And it all funnels through a local church, funnel, right? Through a local church that's gospel rich. So what you have is is a beautiful thing. And don't ever take it for granted. I know the college is not perfect. I'm sure that something has set your teeth on edge or something has made you upset over the past month or two months and that class was tougher than I thought it should have been and I, you know, I bleached my fingers to the bone but I still got an American white glove and the GA didn't get my order right in my coffee or whatever it is, whatever perceived injustice you've received, understand, don't be so myopic, okay? Zoom out a bit and understand what you got here at West Coast Baptist College. You have something that is beautiful that you get to be a part of. You get to be a part of every single day, and so take it for granted. Uh, bloom where you're planted, and, and learn to just enjoy and love where you're at here in the college. So, Act 16. Have you found it yet? At 16, I want to uh, give you a sermon this morning with a very very simple goal. The goal over the next half hour or so is that you would leave out of here with a deeper appreciation and respect for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my singular goal, very simple, that you would leave this place this morning with a more robust appreciation for the gospel than when you came in. And I know you appreciate the gospel and I know you love the gospel already, but I hope this morning that you are just encouraged a bit and the power and sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that Acts 16 will help us understand this and will help you grow in your knowledge of the gospel. So before we pick up the story in verse number 7, I do just want to lay about two or three minutes of background here. So if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, you know that Paul was a brilliant, cultured, self-willed Jesus hater. And he met Jesus, and Jesus took this anti-Jesus Christian stomper and turned him into an apostle. And now Paul has, through a period of years, been discipled. He's launched out into ministry with Barnabas. They spent two years traveling Asia Minor, planting churches. They've come back to Jerusalem, had a big powwow in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas fight with each other, and Barnabas goes his own way with John, Mark, and they, he wants to do his own thing. And so now, Paul has a new buddy in ministry named Silas. Silas is a church leader in Jerusalem. Silas is not a newbie. Silas Silas is not his Padawan. They're partners. And they decide that they're going to go back to the churches that they've planted in Asia Minor. They're going to visit these churches, and they're going to, to seek to encourage them, to edify them, to see the churches enlarge. About halfway through that journey, they pick up Timothy. Timothy, this half Jew, half Gentile, joins the team, and this duo becomes a trio, and they continue to travel, establishing these churches, and they get to the end of this journey, and they, they find themselves at the end of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, right there on the Aegean Sea, and they are naturally thinking that they're going to go into Bithynia. Bithynia would be the next stop. Naturally, the dominoes would fall in that direction, and it would just make human sense to walk into Bithynia and to start to plant churches there. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 16. Look at verse number 7. After they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing from Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So here is Paul and Silas and Timothy, now they're in Troas, the Lord has told them, don't go into Bithynia, they get down to Troas, right on the Aegean Sea, and there's this vision that happens in the night where a man of Macedonia says, come over to us and come help us. And what you find is that the Lord is directing Paul through his missionary journeys. Paul has written his plan in pencil, so to speak. Naturally, he would have gone to Bithynia, but he gave God the eraser and said, Lord, I give you control, I surrender it to you. You lead, you guide, you direct, you do whatever you want to do in my life and in the direction of this ministry. And Paul is not forcing something to happen. He's not attempting to to put his will and exert his effort over the will of God. Paul is willing to surrender control and say, Lord, would you guide and direct? I will give that to you. And what you find is that if you do what Paul has done, if you walk with the Lord day by day, step by step, and you give him control, he will guide He will direct you. He will show you what his will is for your life. If you've surrendered to that, he will willingly and gladly do that. And I don't mean, God, I'm gonna do whatever I want to today, but then my future, big picture, ministry opportunity, yeah, I surrender that to you. I'll do whatever you want after I graduate, but today I'm gonna have my own will. I'm gonna do my own thing today. That's not how how the will of God works. The will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you is, drum roll please, your sanctification. And if you will grasp that, if you'll grasp the sanctifying will of God, that every single day I want to grow closer to him, I want to surrender to him, I will tell him, Lord, have your will and your way in my life today as I go to work with unsafe coworkers, as I go eat funnel cakes and have food truck food tonight as I show up tomorrow and try to give the gospel to people around our area, as I engage in my ministry opportunity on Sunday, Lord, if you will work through me just day by day walking in the Lord, if you'll surrender to him in the sanctifying will, he'll give you the special will. But it's only if you will give him your day-to-day. It's only if you will tell him, Lord, I, I will give you the next 24 hours, and then the next 24 hours, and then the next 24 hours. You walk in the light as he's in the light. Many of you, a month, a month and a half from now, you will leave the college campus to go back home, wherever that is. Anyone from Pennsylvania in the room? Few of you not proud of it? That's fine, just kinda, of, I'm kinda of from Pennsylvania. Anyone proud of where you're from? Where are you from? Tell me, yell it at me. Wow. I heard a bit of Texas. Where's the Texans? All right, Texans are crazy. Some of you Texans are going to drive home here in about a month and a half, and you're going you're to leave graduation ceremony. You're going to load up the car with all your stuff. You're going to leave your mini fridge in the room because you bought one that was too big and it can't fit in your car anyway. And you're going to start to drive home, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to start to get dark, and you're going to turn your headlights. And those headlights will shine roughly 30 yards or so. They don't shine all the way to Texas. You're going to drive for about 30 yards, and you know what? You're going to get 30 yards more of light. And you're going to drive another 30, and you get 30 yards more of light. And as you walk in the light, the light continues to progress in front of you. And if you'll, if you'll get a hold of that with the will of God for your life, that's an accurate picture. You walk in the light as He's in the light. Little by little, you take a step and you get a little bit more direction. You take a step, you get a little bit more direction. You're not going to see the end from the beginning. Eight years ago, I sat where you sat and I would have never dreamed that I would have been in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, pastoring the church that I am and that the Lord would have worked and done what he's done in my own life and ministry and, and spiritual maturation. But you walk in the light as he's in the light. And, and Paul is doing this. Paul has surrendered to the will of God and he's, and he's told him, whatever you want, here's kind of the plans that I have, but the Lord has seen fit to direct those. In another way, it was interesting to me as I, Entered into my senior year of Bible college. How many seniors are in the room? All right, quite a few of you. All right, let me see your hands again, seniors. That's, that's a good portion of the room. It was interesting to me as I entered my senior year of Bible college. Some of you may have experienced this over the past few months with interview days, things like that. I thought I, thought I would love my senior year. I'm going to get to my senior year, the end will be in sight. I'm going to have interview days, you know, I'm going to get to talk to all these people, and I'm going to find out where the Lord was going to put me in ministry. And I found out that that was weighty and that was stressful. I thought it would be fun. I really did. I thought like, I'm going to have, you know, all these options on a board. I'm just going to pick whichever one I want. It'll be fantastic. And I found out that was not the way it was. I had all these guys pitching me their ministries and I had three or four pastors telling me, I prayed about this. I have peace about this. I, I think it's God's will for you to come to my ministry. I'm thinking I, either God lied to you or, or you're making this up. Like, I know he didn't tell three or four of you that it's God's will. For, like, this can't work out logistically. And I'm trying to sort through this and figure this out. And I found out this is, this is stressful. I don't know which way to go or where I'm supposed to, I feel like Solomon. I feel like a kid. I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to come out. Lord, I need some wisdom here. But I found if I would just do my day to day and I would follow him and seek him, I would pray in earnest every night. I would get in the word. I would go to chapel wanting something. I would engage in my ministry opportunity on Sunday. with. I'd be all in in that. If I would do that day-to-day, the Lord would guide and direct and he would show me. And some of you, you're still there right now. And you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to place yourself and it's weighing on you and graduation seems right around the corner and you're, you're starting to stress out about this. Trust the Lord. He will direct. Some of you are in the opposite. You thought this opportunity was going to happen and it's, it's just crashed and burned right in front of you. Or you thought that this pastor was going to offer you a job or this was going to work out. And you find yourself with a lack of options and you're thinking the same thing. What am I supposed to do right now in my life? I'm a senior. I'm graduating. What am I supposed to do? I tell you what you do. You walk in the light as he's in the light. Day by day, little by little, you serve God and you trust God. And God will direct you. He will show you, and he's done this in the life and ministry of Paul and in Silas and in Timothy. And I can testify along with the testimony of scripture this morning, that if you will put God in the driver's seat, he'll drive. And not, not get out of the driver's seat and walk over to the passenger seat and sit there and coach him on how to drive. No, don't, get in the, don't even be in the back seat. Just get in the trunk. Close the trunk on yourself and say, Lord, drive just wherever you want is fine. Just pop that button and I'll pop out wherever you want me to. If you'll do that, God will direct you, he will show you, and you can trust him in that. Verse number 10. Paul, after he had seen the vision, immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. So here's what's happening. It's a unique kind of watershed moment in in Acts here. It just went from they to we. We believe Luke, the author of Acts, we believe that they picked him up right here in Troas because the, the text has said they, 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 they. All of a sudden it switches to we, 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 we. So now we believe that Luke is with them. This trio has gone to a quartet. And they say, the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia, so that's where we're going. So they sailed. One day to Samothrace. if the wind's at your back, it's kind of a halfway point, pit stop. Then one more day to Neapolis. Neapolis is this coastal port, and you have about 10 miles to go to get to Philippi, which is where they're headed. They're headed into Philippi. Verse number 12, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city abiding there certain days. Let me give you one more note of background before we really get to the meat of this morning. Those of you who want to plant a church one day, listen up to this. Who wants to plant a church one day? Anyone think that's on your, on your agenda? Who is engaged maybe to someone who's going to possibly plant a church one day? A few of you around the room? Okay, this will be an important lesson. Here is Philippi. So Paul has just left Asia Minor to go into modern-day Europe. Paul is is leaving there and going to Philippi, which is a Roman colony, a chief city of Macedonia. So this is a major city, which isn't new ground for Paul. He typically will go to a metropolitan area to plant a church. A major city that has this, this Ignatian highway that connects it over to Rome, a major trade artery. But this is a colony. So a colony would be a little Rome. It will be Rome away from Rome. This is different. This is different than where Paul has been previously. Paul has been in Asia Minor with cities that are predominantly Greek and predominantly Jewish with a Roman presence. He's about to go to Philippi, which is a predominantly Roman city. Roman citizens are there, and there's a very minor Greek or Jewish presence in the city. A colony would be a, an outpost that Rome wanted to set up strategically along uh, major highways and major routes, and they would typically populate those colonies with former soldiers. They would give you as, as maybe a pension a lot of land in a colony, and you could go set up shop there. So this is a deeply patriotic town filled with, with Roman citizens, filled with a lot of XGIs and a lot of soldiers. And this is going to be different for Paul because Paul's M.O. and his stated way of planting churches up until this point is he went to the Jew first and then he would go to the Greek. Paul would go into a city, he'd find the synagogue in the city, and for a period of Sabbath days he would reason with the Jews out of the scriptures and he would do his best to win Jewish people to the Lord. He would take that contingency and then he would start to build off from that. He's going into Philippi where there is no synagogue. There's archeologists have found this inscription outside of, of where Philippi stood that there was a prohibition against any outside religious influence coming into that city. So understand church planners. Paul is a church planner, but he's gonna have to play this one by ear a bit. This is going to be different territory for him. He has never been in a situation quite like this and there's gonna be some things that he will have to adjust on the fly. But what we'll find is that when he walks into Philippi, although his methodology changes a bit, although his although the way that he goes about winning people to Jesus changes a bit, there's a, there's a lot that's dynamic, but there are a few things that are very static. The power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are entirely static, and it works in Philippi just like it does with any other city. And Paul goes into Philippi, and I want you to see what happens with the gospel and how the gospel begins to just take shape and root itself in different people here inside the city. And first I want you to see the gospel impacts a cultured lady. So here is verse number 13. They are in this city abiding certain days, into verse 12. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So here's what happens. Paul goes into the city, there's not a synagogue there, but there are some people that are meeting outside of the city to worship the Lord and have some semblance of Judaism. The Bible specifically says that these are, there are women that are there. So you have Paul and his three buddies, quartet of guys, going out to this women's prayer meeting by the riverside. And this is not Christian mingle. This was not like a bulletin board, hey, you know, Sadie Hawkins, come join us and we'll, we'll have a good time together. This is not what's happening here which that at at times does happen in college or in churches. You've been around long enough to see people that they come to college hunting for a wife or hunting for a husband, which is never a great motive to go to college or a great motive to go to a church to try to find someone. If you find someone, great, I'm all for you. Find someone, get married, have a good time. I did, but that's not the reason you go to Bible college. So if that's your motive right now, I'm not telling you to go home. Just change your motive and be here to learn and to understand the gospel and learn what it means to serve Jesus in ministry. But this is, this is not what's happening. This isn't Christian mingle. They get together, and Paul's approach is to want to share the gospel with these ladies. And you find that there's a lady that's there named Lydia. Lydia's from Thyatira. She's Asian. Lydia is a Gentile lady. Lydia is a seller of purple. Purple dye was very hard to extract. It was the most expensive clothing that you could get in that day and age. So Lydia is a businesswoman. She's a CEO. She has means. She has money. Lydia has a house that she's going to house these four guys in here in a few verses. She's going to house them and give them food and give them housing. So for, for Lydia to be in Philippi and to have this means that Lydia has some money. Lydia is a fashionista. The clothing of the day, the the royal clothing, this is her business. Lydia has a Kate Spade purse on her shoulder. Her ten little piggies are in some Prada heels, and this is what she does. Lydia is, she's seeking the Lord. She's a Gentile lady, but she fears God, and she's going to Bible study prayer meeting of sorts. She is, best we know, not saved, but Lydia has enough understanding of of Judaism, of God, that she's rejected the pagan version of God. She doesn't believe that there's a God of the wind and a God of the sea and a God of, you know, clothing and a God of purple dye and a God of the male balding pattern and all these different gods. She doesn't believe that. She believes there's one God. She's been around the law a little bit. She would have known that she has fallen short of God. She would have enough knowledge probably at this point to understand conceptually atonement that a sacrifice needed to be made to, in order to atone for sins so that we could have right standing with God, Lydia would have had some of this. And Paul comes in and is introduced to her and begins to open up the gospel to her and say, let me help you understand what you're searching for, what you're seeking for. You're, you're a smart woman, a business woman, you have money and you're an intellect, you're seeking, you're prodding, you're wanting to find, so let me open up Jesus to you. And the Bible says that the Lord opens her heart up. But the Lord takes the heart of Lydia and pries it open, and the gospel message is applied, and Lydia becomes a Christian. Paul, through the message of Jesus Christ and the power of God, this is applied to her life. And Paul shares the message, but he does not open her heart. The Lord does that. That's the Lord's job. Tomorrow, you're going to go out, and you're going to invite people to church, to Easter, to Easter. Hopefully you get to share the gospel. you get to enter into a conversation with someone. You'll get to talk about eternal things. It's your job to share the message. It is not your job to convince them of the truth. There will not be an army of angels in heaven assigned to you tomorrow morning grading your gospel presentations. There will not be any angel, oh, you missed Romans 5 a b B+, you didn't do that one, great. I hope they get saved. You, you flunked that one. No, that's not how it works. Your job is to share the gospel. Your job is to give the message. You say, well, I don't know. I'm just a freshman. I haven't even taken Bible doctrines three yet. I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't been in that class. I'm a girl and I'm, I'm in the teaching field and I don't do a lot of theology. If you are saved and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your savior and you have breath in your lungs, you got all that you need.